0: It's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, with your host, Jamie Dew, Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna, and featuring Matt Ardill. and now, Curator of the Hall. Jamie Doo.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Doug DeNance. It's JD here, and welcome to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. It's a weekly affair where each episode we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have all been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity inside these hallowed halls. You want in, and I can let you in, but not until you wipe your goddamn feet. That's right. Wipe your feet at the door, you filthy animal. How are you doing today? I am, I'm, I'm actually really great. Thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> um, we've got a barn burner of a show today. It is uh, Justin Renwick joining Thomas Senna in conversation about the very intriguing John Belushi. This should be a good one. I can tell you that the conversations I've had on Reddit, this is probably the most anticipated episode of the season based on feedback that I've been getting about who we haven't seen nominated in the hall. Now, in case you're curious the way things work, we work together with a committee and choose who will be nominated each year from a pool based on the parameters that have been outlined by the SNL hall of fame. Once those selections are made, we, you know, sort of piece them together and produce a a podcast and we make that show and we, you know, put them out every, every week and, and you get to listen and that's great. But the real key here is the voting and the voting is coming up real soon. In fact, next week, we are nominating Amy Poehler on the show. And then Tuesday, the 23rd of May, voting will begin. And it will run through to June 17th. So you will have from May 23rd to June 17th to cast your votes, to cast 15 votes 15 votes, up to 15 votes, I should say, for the SNL Hall of Fame. It's exciting. After Amy Poehler, we'll do a few roundtables, and then we'll do the reveal. And the reveal is uh, quite exciting. Uh, I'm really curious to see if any of our legacy uh, holdovers make it this year. There's Dave Grohl is really close. Lonely Island is super close, and Lonely Island should be on it should have been you know a first ballot hall of famer as far as i'm concerned but uh i don't control the vote so there's that if you're looking to register to vote uh what you want to do is you want to go to snlhof.com and click on the voting tab and click register to vote you can do that right there and you will get a ballot um on the 23rd mailed to you emailed to you and uh Bob's your uncle from there so there's that let's uh go over and talk to our friend Matt in his minutiae minute corner and learn a little bit more about Mr. John Belushi oh Matthew
2: hey hi Jimmy how you doing I'm great how about you Matt I'm good thanks I'm good really excited to talk about uh one of the classic cast members here today John Belushi the one and only, uh, yeah. five, five foot eight, born January 24th, 1949. Um, he credited his grandmother, uh, his Albanian grandmother for getting him into show business. Um, she didn't understand English, so she would uh, have him act things out for her, uh, which made her laugh and thus a career was born. Um, he actually had very humble beginnings um, in the start of his career, uh, which was as a youth instructor at a theater camp, the Shawnee Summer Theater of Greene County. Uh, but from there, he went on to become a member of the West Com- uh, West Compass Trio, Second City, and the National Lampoon Lemmings prior to joining SNL. Um, he attended the Southern Illinois University uh, uh, in uh, Carbondale, uh, which is where he actually got the college shirt as seen in Animal House. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's a gift shop there in an area known as The Strip, uh, which is still operating today if you wanted to go and get one for yourself. Um, yeah, so while living in New York, he was next door neighbor to SNL fixture Elliot Gould, who we've talked about in the past. Um, he, he is a huge nerd, or he was a huge nerd. He was a fan of many things from Lucille Ball, whose entire career he committed to memory. And this is something that actually seems to come up a bit. He had a razor sharp memory. Um, He was also a Star Trek fan and with, and Kirk in particular, to the point Shatner said he preferred Belushi's take on Kirk. And uh, he was a big Marvel fan. Um, on one visit to their offices in New York, he could summarize any specific issue just by looking at the cover. Uh, he could, people say, well, that's this one. And he's like, oh, this is the is- issue where Spider Man is, you know, fighting the Green Goblin and, you know, so and so dies. Uh, yeah. And I mean, which must have made him really happy when he and the Not Ready for Primetime players were featured in a Spider-Man comic and he ends up having stolen the silver samurai's samurai sword and used it in the sketch so that that's uh that my wife got that for me actually that issue it was shockingly inexpensive for a double memorabilia uh whammy but she got that for me for our anniversary last year oh that's very Uh, cool yeah um now He was well-known for being very judgmental. Uh, One of the ways he would evaluate people is by borrowing $20 and seeing how they reacted. So, you know, if they're kind of a jerk about it, he knew, oh, they were a jerk. But he just gauged how they behaved. Um, That's a good trick. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting one. I have to remember that. Now, he was a heavy metal fan, which I did not realize. uh, But when he met Dan Aykroyd, uh, having performed together, Dan tried to entice him onto the SNL cast at a speakeasy because, of course, with those two is at a speakeasy. Uh, Dan put on a blues album, which stirred a fascination in John that became career-defining because he had never listened to blues before that meeting and then went on to create the Blues Brothers together. Um, Now, he was such a huge star. There were a, a bunch of roles that he was supposed to be a part of in films. Peter Vankman was originally written for him. Um, he was replaced by James Wood in Once Upon a Time, or James Woods in Once Upon a Time in America on his passing, and was to appear in an adapt- adaptation of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas with and uh, Many more projects, but one of the were interesting, given it kind of ties back to his time on SNL. Um, Harold Ramis was guest hosting an episode of Siskel and Ebert and discussed how it was John's dream to play Ludwig von Beethoven in a film. Uh, Which is a weird one, but given he played him on the show, I guess, you know, that could have been technically an SNL spinoff. Now, sorry, go ahead. Okay. So he had the nickname of America's Guest as he had a habit of knocking on strangers' doors, entering their homes, and eating things from their refrigerator, and then crashing out on their couch. Um, this never resulted in any problems because he was so well known, but it speaks to how different the 70s were from today. Um, wow. Now, he required an income of between 500000 thousand and a $1,000,000 a year to maintain his lifestyle and his entourage. Um, now, while he would often make use of strangers' generosity, he himself was also very generous, lending large sums of money to friends and family. Towards the end of his life, his manager pushed him to start collecting on these debts, but John refused. Uh, now, he is buried in Martha's Vineyard, where his epitaph reads... He made us laugh, and now he can make us think. But his grave was so popular with visitors, they moved his uh, casket to an unmarked grave in a quiet corner of the cemetery, after which his fans posted a new epitaph based on his catchphrase. He could have given us a lot more laughs, but
1: no! <laughs> that is John Belushi. That's great. Take it away, Thomas. Thomas.
3: Justin Renwick is joining me today. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me here on the SNL Hall of Fame. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so this one is is a big one to me. This is a, a, probably to a lot of people. The legendary John Belushi we'll be talking about. So he was on SNL. 1975 to 1980 part of the original cast um, he mean, he seemed to be made for sketch comedy and had a lot of reps before he started at Saturday Night Live. So can you talk about kind of his path mm. to SNL and his prior
4: work in sketch comedy? So if we go we could go way back to like high school uh, which mm. is where I think where he caught the acting bug. He was a, a very accomplished athlete he was a football player, he was a drummer. Uh, he was in a band that actually released a single, believe it or not. And uh, to show what a small world Chicago and the greater Chicago area is, because he grew up, he was born in Chicago, but he grew up in uh, Wheaton, Illinois. He knew uh, Dick Plasucci, who was somebody he would also work with at Second City. And Dick lasucci went on to SCTV as a writer, which uh, I think he formed an alliance with Joe Flaherty at some point, which is how that came about. But we're getting a little bit off topic. So yeah, John, uh, when he was in high school, did drama and... His drama teacher noticed something. He's like, there's something special about this kid. And if anyone's read the book Wired, this is where I know this story from. Apparently, this teacher took him to, if I'm remembering correctly, he took him to, I know it was Indiana, but I don't know if he went and auditioned somewhere else. But basically, he got into summer stock in Indiana a year before most people were eligible when he was 17. Like, that's how preternaturally talented he was. Wow. Yeah. And they did a whole series of plays there. That that went very well. He enrolled in – when he graduated from high school, enrolled at the University of Wisconsin, and uh, was doing drama there, but left after a year, and then wound up going to the College of DuPage in West Chicago. Somewhere along that period, he went to see Second City and was just had an epiphany, just realized this is what I was put on earth to do, and formed the West Compass Players, which was a reference to the pre-Second City Compass Players. With his friends Tino and Sana and uh, Steve Bashakis, who people that watch John Belushi on Saturday Night Live will be very familiar with that name, because he brought it up a lot in his bits. <laughs> so the three of them were were able to audition on mass for uh, Second City, and I think it was Bernie Salins that auditioned them, and he saw John's potential right right away. Saw something in Tino and Sana, and well, I think Tino was put in the touring company or asked to take some more classes, but he wound up joining as well. But yeah, John went into Second City. I believe he went right into the main stage cast, which at the time had Brian Doyle Murray, Harold Ramis, uh, Joe Flaherty. So he was punching well above his his weight. Yeah, I don't know hitters. if that's the right term to use because yeah, that sounds that sounds more like he was not very good, but was somehow anyway. He did very well, but he was uh, but, but he that, was
3: young at the time. So like you know, oh, being yeah. able to be in that company at his age.
4: Uh says a lot yeah, about it. so I think it's fair been, to
3: say at that time, punching up uh, above his weight.
4: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he wouldn't have been around 22. Joe Flaherty was – I think he was in his late 20s at that point. Mm-hmm. He was a good 10 years older than the SCTV cast, but anyway, that obviously went very well. He made a, a real, real reputation for himself there and through that, got involved with the National Lampoon. So much so that he moved to New York after he'd been in the uh, the Lemmings review with Chevy Chase and Christopher Guest, which is one of my favorite comedy albums of all time, National Lampoon's Lemmings, which was a takeoff on Woodstock, and uh, was where he did Joe Cocker. Among he also played the uh, the MC. But then, yeah, through that world of uh, of National Lampoon and then writing, producing, and performing for the Radio Hour, that's what brought him to the attention of um, Lauren Michaels through. Chevy Chase and Michael O'Donoghue when they were putting Saturday Night Live together. And at the National Lampoon's radio hour, that's where he came across with like
3: Bill Murray... Gilda mm-hmm. Radner, kind of some yep. of his future SNL cohorts, just a who's who work, working on that show at the time. Richard Belzer yeah. was even part yep. of that. So, it was just a like really, really a talented cast. And would you say, you know, I know a lot of them had their, had their gifts and talents, but there was something magnetic about Belushi that even stood out amongst that type of talent.
4: Belushi has that thing, like the charisma is just unbelievable, but he has that mischievous glint uh jimmy fallon has it as well many other people do where you're even if you know not only his stage presence right just the minute john belushi walked onto stage eyes were drawn to him john candy had the same thing anyone that's tall i mean john belushi wasn't tall but anyone that has a big presence and can exude that kind of charisma right away steals focus but you always wanted to see what he was going to do next same thing with jimmy fallon even when he was fucking around in a sketch and and messing up you wanted to know oh You know, what's he got up his sleeve? What's going to happen next? And that was very much John Belushi too. Just electric performer is the word that comes to mind. That's
3: why a lot of us watch live sketch and SNL in particular is because there's, I mean, there's that element of, you don't know it's going to, it's a live show. You don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. There's almost that danger involved and
4: Belushi really did personify. He did bring that energy to the show. Yeah, he's fearless. He has like, Kate McKinnon is the same, uh, Melissa McCarthy just fearless performers that you can throw anything at them. And they'll, you know, like even something as simple, I'm sure the tomato was cut beforehand, but like the Samurai Deli, when he throws the tomato up in the air and chops it with the, the sword, you know, there's a million ways that can go wrong on a live TV show, but it, I, don't, I don't think it bothered him at all. He just knew. So he,
3: like I said, he started with, you know, he was an original cast member at SNL. They started in 1975. Uh, Where did you become familiar with Belushi's work and kind of what
4: stood out to you? Not to get too deep into the the archives, but my introduction to Saturday Night Live was a friend's Mr. Bill t-shirt in 1979. <laughs> I'm like, what's Mr. Bill? Oh, it's this thing, it's on Saturday Night Live. It's really funny. What's Saturday Night Live? Oh, it's the show, it's on Saturday nights, it's live. Ha ha. Anyway, I asked my mom about it. She knew she was a big Second City fan, so she'd been watching Saturday Night Live since day one. And yeah, they let me stay up and Mr. Bill was the gateway. But then in between the sketches, I'm trying to think the first thing that really stood out with me stood out for me with John Belushi was probably, I'm going to say the Bees, because this was 1979. So they were still... Back then, the reruns weren't just shows from the current season. They were showing shows from the first season on. So I got to sort of catch up over that season. That's probably the first thing that stood out. But it's just, it's that uh, that confidence. He was so confident. It's really magnetic. Like It really draws you in. I mean, to be a performer on Saturday Night Live, you have to have a certain degree of confidence. But there's... There's different levels. Like if you look at somebody like Dan Aykroyd, who was, you know, incredibly talented, really funny, and just able to like rattle off details, you know, at a moment's notice, there's a difference between sort of him and um, Belushi, which I think is why they complemented each other so well. Dan Aykroyd's more of a a technical actor, whereas to me anyway, John Belushi's a little more instinctive.
3: Yeah. What stood out to me a lot when, you know, rewatching a lot of his sketches and everything was just how he would dissolve into a character. And then he just gave off this really, the audience knew that they were in good hands with him up there because he, he exuded just like, you know, I'm supposed to be here. I'm doing Don Corleone impression and I'm the one who's supposed to be doing this and I'm good enough. And he, he did have that confidence definitely. And his relationship with some of his castmates from what I've read really played into that especially
4: his relationship with Chevy Chase
3: <laughs> and yeah, how he viewed yeah, yeah. Chevy
4: Chase getting attention early on it's funny that they weren't you know they didn't get along very well even in the lampoon days and it's funny that Chevy was still smart enough and got over his own ego to it was him and Michael O'Donoghue that suggested him I think I mentioned that before to Lauren um but yeah that of course when Chevy took off in the first few episodes of Saturday Night Live yeah John Belushi was was not happy about it.
3: <laughs> no, I think maybe John looked at Chevy as getting, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's cheap laughs, but he certainly got a lot of mileage off falling Pratt falls. And I think what Belushi felt that he did was maybe more elevated than what Chevy yeah. did. So I think he, Belushi thought from what I've read, Belushi thought that he was, he was the star of the, of the cast. Yeah. And not oh, absolutely.
4: Chevy. Chevy chase is, that's a whole lot of problems to unpack that that guy has, but <laughs> right. Let's just suffice it to say I he is is incredible at what he does. You know what I mean? Like the you were saying the falling the falling down like the mimicking people behind their back, just the the sort of boyish humor and the looks, the looks helped as well, the dimpled chin and the sort of he had a glint in his eye as well. But yeah, he's miles away and I'm pretty sure Chevy Chase will be the first one to tell you that in uh, the acting um, realm from John Belushi. When Chevy Chase played Gerald Ford, he didn't sink into
3: Gerald Ford. That that was Chevy Chase just calling yeah. himself Gerald Ford. Which, which
4: really. made it even funnier for some reason. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, war- it definitely worked for sure. But then if, you know, Belushi played a character, Belushi just really transformed into that character. And I think that that was a lot of acting chops, like you mentioned.
4: I think the other amazing thing about Belushi. And another reason, that, a big reason that would put him in the um, the Hall of Fame is not only could he, he's an incredible mimic. Uh, he has a great comic timing. Like Jackie Gleason is one of his heroes and it really shows. And yeah, he can sink into a character and become somebody else. But at the same time, you put him on update as himself and it's unbelievable. Like he's still amazing. Just, just playing, you know, as a comedian's play, slightly heightened versions of themselves. He was com- he was comfortable playing himself as well as playing other characters, which we're get, we'll use the same analogy. Dan Aykroyd was more comfortable sinking into characters. You saw his season on um, Weekend Update with Jane Curtin. He he never looked very comfortable playing himself. You know,
3: Belushi on those update pieces, it was incredible. He would he would start off just you know even kill. I think that was the most Belushi. Yeah. The most human, for lack of a better term, that I would see Belushi on the show. But then he would mm-hmm. go from zero to 100 in like two seconds. The whole the luck of the Irish rant, the famous yeah. one that he had on Weekend Update. And you know, it starts off level headed. Well,
5: it's uh, that time again. St. Patrick's Day has come and gone. And well, the sons of Ireland are basking in the globe. You know, when I think of Ireland, I think of a lot of colorful Irish expressions like top of the morning to you, kiss the Blarney Stone, may the road rise to meet you, may you be in heaven an hour before the devil knows you're dead. I'd like to smash you in the face with my shillelagh. (laughs) Danny boy, begorah, whale of the banshee and whiskey for the leprechauns, whiskey for the leprechauns. But the expression I think most people identify with the Irish is, of course, the luck of the Irish.
3: And Belushi's just kind of this nice guy, just saying what he has to say, and then he just he just is like a bull in a China shop.
5: I said five grand, man! I said, hey man, I've never even seen five thousand dollars in my life. So don't ask me for it, man. Watch you ask your mother, which is a dumb thing for me to say because his mother just died. Yeah. I died. And now i got this drunken Irish junkie who wants to kill me because of what I said about his mother being in Terminal Dreamland, you know? Oh, tell one uh-huh. thing, but just stay me One thing! They love their mothers, boy! Oh, they love their mothers! It's mama this and mama that! Oh, my Irish mother! Ireland must be heaven because my mother comes on there! I and- uh-huh.
3: He would do like a like an army roll off the desk and then yeah. you, you would never see him after that until the next sketch. Yeah, yeah. And that again,
4: was... that's on that's on live TV. Again, there's so many ways that could go wrong. Just no yeah, exactly. no fear. No fear. Yeah, totally fearless. I think I think that's such a great way to put it. An element
3: of Belushi that I love too was that he reminded me of like a Charlie Chaplin or a Buster Keaton in a lot of ways. And one of the examples, one of, yeah, it just is a very expressive face and he didn't have to have any lines necessarily to convey something to do really great sketch work. And one of the things that really pops out to me, his most famous character, the samurai is like a perfect example. John reminded me of, Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, like I said, in those sketches, oh, yeah. it just really was striking just like the physical ability of him to convey something.
5: All I know is that the third quarter net of Kentucky Mines was up 6.2%. Look at this graph look. It went right up here, and what happened? September, October, November, into the well known toilet. I see what you mean, but,
1: but I need security. That's the point.
4: Uh, I'm sure you're aware of this, and other listeners maybe as well, that that was based on um, Toshiro Mifuni, his character in Yojimbo. And they called the samurai, his name was Samurai Futaba. And that was his audition piece for Saturday Night Live, the, the samurai pool hustler. I don't know if it was his, probably his wife in a remembrance was saying that, yeah, right. He was in the apartment messing around with that character for a while with a bathrobe and he'd grab the dowel from the, like the clothes rod from the closet, use it as a as a sword. And if I'm not mistaken in the audition, he used that obviously as a pool cue.
3: Well, I could see why he got the <laughs> got the job then. I mean, that's such he got a- the gig, yeah. I think I, I underestimated how much I enjoyed the samurai until I I took a deep dive into into Belushi over the last few weeks, and I could see why it was held in such high regard. I mean, those facial expressions, the interplay he had mostly with Buck Henry, but with a few other yeah. hosts, it was just it was just incredible to watch. Like I couldn't take my eyes off of Belushi during those sketches.
4: I just read today. Apparently, it was Buck Henry who turned it into a recurring character because. He first played the Samurai with Richard Pryor. Apparently, when Buck Henry came in, it was his request to be in a sketch with the Samurai. And it went so well that it, every time Buck came back, they would, bring, they would bust out another Samurai sketch with Buck playing the same character. They had such good chemistry. I think, I think Belushi,
3: he had good chemistry with some of the other, the hosts that did the Samurai with him. Oh, yeah, Samurai that's, Hotel. That's what it was. It was the sketch. Samurai Hotel. Okay. Yo, yeah, yeah, that's mama-san. right. <laughs> yes, he and Richard Pryor. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Another example that I had just about Belushi being a great silent actor, like just he didn't have yeah. to speak one word. Was he and Gilda had this sketch where they met in a laundromat and they share a washer at the laundromat and they begin to flirt, and that was just all the they no share the dialogue cigarette at the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. They show cigarette belushi's <laughs> pouring champagne at one point that was just such great comedic acting without having to say one
4: word i don't have any proof of this but that kind of strikes me as a as what's known as a trunk piece i would imagine and again i could be very wrong i would imagine either gilda or john may have brought that from second city so there was a few of those in the first season like there's a dan Aykroyd gilda radner sketch where dan Aykroyd plays a mechanic and he's putting his daughter to bed, and she wants to hear a story. And he's tired and wants her to go to bed, so he just makes up a story that involves all these car parts or whatever. That was definitely something the two of them had done in Toronto. But yeah, I'm getting I'm getting a little uh getting a little ahead of myself here. I'm I'm you know it's speculation.
3: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I think uh, uh when they were doing Second City stuff, and it's a lot like SNL in that they have to come up with idea after idea after idea and a lot of it tends Mm -hmm. to be slice of life kind of things like you find the funny bits in these seemingly ordinary slice of life kind of things so in this example they're at the laundromat and they want to both use the same washer well where can we go Mm -hmm. from there that that does strike me as an idea that they would
4: have used it it feels it feels very much like yeah it it feels a lot like a second city or a groundling sketch i mean they still do that today not I doubt as often, but um, I know Melissa McCarthy, the first time she hosted when they did the uh, focus group on the Hidden Valley Ranch, I didn't know it at the time. I only learned this about a year ago that that was a, a sketch she was doing every night at the Groundlings that she'd written. So, shout out yeah. to uh, Melissa.
3: This isn't yeah. about yeah, Melissa. she finds you. Is- <laughs> no, <laughs> she finds you Though I think there's a lot of Belushi spirit in Melissa as a performer. Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. She's I also mean-
4: fearless and she's she's also a really good actor. Yeah. And that's John like John Belushi's secret sauce is what a what a great actor he was. Being funny is one thing, but being a good actor is like 70 80% of it. He was
3: in Animal House and he wasn't the lead. I think I think hindsight no. tells people that Belushi was the lead in that film, but he wasn't. Oh, yeah. But he but he totally commanded
4: attention in that movie. Even the first scene when he's holding the beer and he pisses on uh, Tom, Thomas <laughs> Hulse's leg. <laughs> it's, it's like I want I want to know what what this guy's doing next. I know, uh, you know the the food scene in Animal House, where he's stealing all the stuff out of the cafeteria. John Landis has said he was off camera, like guiding him and saying, "Like, I want you to, I want you to be Cookie Monster, basically." I mean, watching that movie, you got excited
3: when Belushi would would get on the screen. I mean, when he when he when the hippie guy was kind of playing the guitar on the stairwell and she just takes, <laughs> poor, takes the guitar. Poor Stephen Bishop. <laughs> and, and, yeah. He takes the guitar and smashes it against the wall. And then he just kind of looks at him and goes, sorry. And then, and then walks away. I mean. <laughs> he doesn't I mean, even say it. Like, it's
4: not even snide. It's like, sorry. It's like, it's this thing I had to do. It's not personal. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> against you.
3: It was just,
4: I had to do this. And, yeah.
3: Yeah. So people, I think looking back at Animal House, think that that was a Belushi vehicle and it Kind of wasn't. I mean, it was very much an ensemble, but there were definitely leads that weren't (laughs) Belushi in the movie, but that just speaks to a presence that he had about him.
4: Well, to speak again to the Chevy John uh, dilemma, let's call it, you probably know uh, they wanted Chevy Chase to play um, Eric Stratton, which was uh, Timothy, Tim, uh, what's his last name? Anyway, the guy that played Eric Stratton, it was Otter and uh, yeah, Otter was the character's uh, nickname, I think. Anyway, that was supposed to be Chevy and he didn't want to, he didn't want to be second fiddle to uh, John Belushi again, even though technically, yeah, he would have been, I guess you'd say he was the lead and they wanted Dan Aykroyd as D-Day, but Dan apparently was, was not ready. He felt he wasn't ready to make movies yet, which is weird because he'd made them in Canada, but be that as it may. Yeah. That would have been such a perfect role for Aykroyd too. He would have just
3: slid right in. Well, the guy that,
4: I can't, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy that played D-Day did a great job. Bruce. uh,
3: Yeah. Bruce McGill. Yeah, he was really good in that. Belushi set a template too for, we were talking about, you know, I see a lot of him and Melissa McCarthy. I see a lot of him, of course, the comparison when Chris Farley got on the show, that comparison was just out there for the taking. And Chris Farley idolized John Belushi as well. He wanted to be Belushi. We'll get to this, but unfortunately, he was like Belushi in a lot of ways, good and bad. Yeah. But Too many. Belushi, yeah. But Belushi just ha- he definitely set a template for a lot of performers as far as how they performed, and as far as also what SNL was looking for in cast members going forward. I think they a lot, of, a lot of times they were trying to find a Belushi sort of role when they were trying to fill the cast going forward.
4: Well, and the, there's a through line with um, John Belushi and a lot of the other similar actors. I mean, Bill Murray sort of has that kamikaze. Kind of go for it, fearless attitude as well. John Candy, who's, a, and Bill Murray and John Candy are also both incredible actors. And even Chris Farley, the through line there is a guy named Del Close, who mm. was in uh, the Compass Players. I think he was in the St. Louis, there was an offshoot in St. Louis. And then eventually everything morphed into Second City. And Del also worked with Second City for quite some time. And then years later went off and started Improv Olympic with, um, so Sharna Halpern. They all received the tutelage of Del Close, and I think he helped. I mean, stuff is there, but I think he helped bring that out in them as well. Yeah, for sure. Del
3: Close, like, a lot of people look at him as the godfather of, of improv, especially. Mm-hmm. He worked with so many great improv and sketch actors, So, so a lot of these conversations point back to Del Close <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. for sure. And I think, you know, when, when they hired Farley, of course, everybody was said, you know, they, they found their Belushi. Uh, when the Horatio Sands started on the show, I yep. think people made a lot of those comparisons. And even Bobby Moynihan, they said, oh, that's the Belushi oh, sure, yeah. or Farley archetype. So, that's just, you know, John Belushi setting a template and uh, just and an example for the show as far as what works on the show and what Lorne was trying to find. So what are some other characters or sketches or performances on SNL that you think our listeners should familiarize
4: themselves with when discussing Belushi? So getting back to the bees, I mean, the bees weren't, weren't a great sketch. They were just stupid. But it was just funny seeing everybody dressed up in bees costumes. But the good thing, that I think, that came out of the bees was King Bee. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd is a, you know, it was, a, it was kind of a proto-blues brothers. Uh They're dressed up in the bees costumes. They got the shades on. Dan's playing the harmonica. They're playing with the Howard Shore band. that was a Saturday Night Live band at the time. And they do Slim Harpo's King Bee. And, you know, John in the middle starts doing cartwheels and all kinds of other acrobatics. And then it ends with him doing that. When your man is... do, When your man is... When your man go. <laughs> <laughs> getting crazier and crazier, and then getting up and falling off the stool.
5: Well, I'm a okay, cane, babe. I want you to be my queen. Yeah. I'm a okay, cane, baby. want you to be my queen. We're all together, we can make honey, baby. The world has never seen. Okay, let's buzz a while. A buzz, buzz. A buzz, buzz. I buzz, buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. Well,
4: <laughs> yes. steam it back. Yes, kind I of is one of his <laughs> trademarks. I think that's <laughs> the place to start. I think there's there's other sketches that are that are worth mentioning where he would try to show off his acting. You know, in the early days of Saturday Night Live, and even further along, but they don't really do them anymore. There were always these little, almost one act plays. You know, some of them were were dramatic, didn't even have any any comedy in them. And John seemed to be featured in a lot of those. He was. There's one he did on the Sissy Spacek show, which I think was in the third season that's worth watching. When
5: that didn't work, that didn't help you find your manly powers, I started thinking about dead people. And, and if dead people secretly watch to see if you go to their funeral. You looking at certain parts of my body... And you thinking the word dead? Well, no wonder. If you're wondering why there is no wonder, well, there is no wonder. You know, I have been with, if you know what I mean, a semi-professional singer. I know. I have had adult relations with a semi-professional singer. I know. Not to mention many others, only to mention the one that proves to a man who has been to Houston and left behind a satisfied semi-professional singer!
4: He goes toe-to-toe with, with Sissy and they both come out looking very good. You get
3: the sense that John, you know, relished being able to play opposite those great actors. I'm, I'm reminded of the dueling Brandos, one yep. that he did with Peter, Peter Boyle, Boyle, where they they traded Brando impressions. for <laughs>
5: I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's taste it, Charlie. I could have been Senator Coleon, Governor Coleon. There wasn't enough time, Michael.
3: And you can tell Belushi was probably just having such a good time trading those with Peter
4: Boyle. Peter Boyle, another Second City Chicago alum. Yeah, they're probably super comfortable (laughs) working with each other. And there's that and... uh, Joe Cocker, of course, and especially the Joe Cocker he did to Joe Cocker.
3: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. One of the first kind of celebrities who gets impersonated walk-ons <laughs> in yeah. SNL. Yeah. That, that kind of became a thing a lot of in the 90s. Yeah. That Joe Cocker was great. He did that really early too. You said that he had auditioned with it. He did that first in the third episode of season one. Yeah.
4: Yeah. The, the Rob Reiner episode and there's another thing I, w- I was just going to bring up that's also from the Rob Reiner episode when they um, they're dressed up as the bees and Rob has to tell them the bee sketch has been cut
5: I'm sorry if you think we're ruining your show Mr. Reiner but uh see you don't understand we didn't ask to be bees you see you you've got Norman Lear in a first rate writing staff <laughs> But this is all they came up with for us. Do you, do you think we like this? No. No, Mr. Reiner. We don't have any choice.
4: That's one of the first time he did one of those. I don't, I don't think there was a but no in it, but there could have been that was laying you know laying the groundwork for those chari- for those uh bits that he would do where he'd become increasingly frustrated with somebody i could have gone out and done this
0: but no
3: yeah <laughs> oh my
4: gosh and there's
3: also in season 3 uh the olympia cafe i think that's another one that uh, one of his oh famous ones God. from SNL that we should probably hit it was him bill murray played a great role in that what do you remember about watching him in the, the you know, Olympia Cafe
4: sketches? I love the history of those sketches. I think it was Don Novello had come in as a writer in season three, and he brought that idea because he and John were both familiar with the, um, the tavern in Chicago that it was based on. I think it was the Billy Goat Tavern. That's basically what happened. You know, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, no, no, no fries, chips, no Coke, Pepsi, all that kind of stuff. And John could also draw on his uh, background because his father was a restaurant owner. So I'm sure a lot of it came from that as well. But even the um, the decision to make the owner Greek and he appeared in a, a season two sketch as that character oh. on one of those uh, Jane Curtin talk shows even before they did those sketches. and yeah I, I, I know in the history of the family they were Albanian and apparently in you know Chicago in the 40s or 50s that was still considered too ethnic so they would often pose as Greek to avoid uh, to avoid trouble. Yeah, I didn't know so that I guess that's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah, the Olympia yeah. sketches were very um very ambitious, like to have a working grill. And if you've ever been <laughs> right. to Studio 8H, like it's it's not huge.
3: No, no, it's not. <laughs> I yeah, rewatching those because I I was fortunate enough to be able to in the spring of twenty twenty two go see SNL in person for the first time. And so well, good it's kind of new. Did you yeah. see the dress or the or the or the We saw a dress rehearsal? getting a perspective of actually how small that studio is. And then going back to watch sketches, and like you said with the Olympia Cafe, for example, they've put a a working grill. They had, you know, it Mm -hmm. seems like elaborate for how small that studio is for sure. And John in those sketches he seemed to me like he was the run the one who was anchoring the sketch and kind of running things and taking it oh, sure. from here to there you know and, and he would interact with maybe jane Curtin as an annoyed customer or bill murray as the sheepish worker but it was john's sketch that he was just controlling come
6: on come on come on come on we got out there we ain't got out there okay we gotta start over. start over okay
5: what are you gonna have uh, i think i'll have little cheese and a coke uh
4: I'm sure he's playing a version of his father there. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can tell that's that's
3: just effortless. Another sketch that it's a pre-tape that's just lived in my brain since I was a kid and saw it that sort of showed Belushi's more kind of human relatable side was the little chocolate donuts.
0: Unbelievable. What a day for John Belushi.
3: I logged a lot
5: of miles training for that day, and I've downed a lot of donuts. Little chocolate donuts. They taste good, and they've got the sugar I need to get me going in the morning. That's why little chocolate donuts have been on my training table since I was a kid.
0: Little chocolate donuts, the
4: donuts of champions.
0: <laughs>
3: And that was more so, uh, because I don't feel as a viewer, and this is a compliment to Belushi, because like I said, he would sink into his characters, but I never felt totally like I knew who he was as a human being in a lot of ways. Contrast that with Chris Farley, whose human nature just oozed out. But with Little Chocolate Donuts, that was one of the times Mm -hmm. where I kind of saw relatability in Belushi.
4: Yeah, I think my first was, I think it's during the first season. They would do bits sometimes, I guess, maybe to fill time. Like they'd have Gilda Radner do her, you know, what Gilda ate segment or just say, you know, hey, ma'am, you can go to bed. I'm not in the show this week. But uh, there there was one where John Belushi came out and tried to sell a bunch of his old records. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) But it was just him playing himself, honestly, with, I'm sure, albums that he owned. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I kind of got a better sense of him from that. Rewatching a lot of his stuff, I love getting
3: those those moments here and there of like, oh, I think that's Belushi. I think, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think that's him. Who he really is, kind of coming through. But he he mm-hmm. was, I think he was consciously didn't, you know, I think he liked to play characters rather than I'm gonna play yeah. a version of myself, which is a testament to him. My like, gosh, like we said, he was mm-hmm. so so great at that. So unfortunately after SNL, he didn't have much time. He had two movies that came out after SNL that he starred in. It was Continental Divide and Neighbors. I don't know if you've
4: ever seen either of those. I've seen Neighbors. I've never seen Continental Divide. I've always wanted to, but just haven't got around to it. But I only recently saw, even to go back, uh, Old Boyfriends from uh, 1978, where he plays basically a more spiffed up version of, uh, of Jake Blue's He's just this guy that works for the local I think it's the local flower shop that Talia Shire who's the lead was you know she knew him back in high school. Yeah. And he's yeah. he's got this band that he fronts at nights but anyway, uh it's it's a shame that uh him and Don Novello's movie Noble Rot didn't get made. Do you know what what was
3: the premise behind the movie with the that Don Novello was working on with them Noble Rot? I think rot? it
4: had something to do with uh it wasn't Abscam, scam but it was something like that. It was a not a Ponzi scheme but something along those lines. Reading a, a fuller outline of the, um, of the premise, it sounded like it was going to be a really good movie. But I think the film company was forcing John to be in The National Lampoon's Joy of Sex, which he didn't want to do. And they said, well, if you don't do this, you don't get to make Noble Rot. But unfortunately, none of it came to pass anyway, sadly, because uh, of a speedball. So yeah, March 5th,
3: 1982, he unfortunately passed away only 33 years old. Gosh, I mean that. I, yeah. I that must have sent shockwaves through the comedy world and through Hollywood in general.
4: I can't imagine, and even the people, like the people that were there that day, like Robert De Niro was there, uh, Robin Williams was there. Robin Williams credits it with helping him stop taking uh, cocaine. So at least something good came out of it. But yeah, you can only imagine, and also the guilt, like somebody like Lorne Michaels. How would you feel? So you know, I should have intervened. I should have helped. I'm just using his ex- him as a, an example. I'm not trying trying to put any guilt on him or anything. But yeah, like not only is it a warning sign, maybe you should curb your lifestyle a little bit, but also you should also try to help people that are that are in trouble. But in the 70s, 70s and 80s, you know, people didn't really do that. We we didn't have the equipment. It even happened to you know 10 years later with uh, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Nobody knew to just put the brakes on and say just stop for a while, go away. Get your head together, see somebody, talk about your feelings, whatever.
3: But yeah, it was just go, go, go. And it was so prevalent around that time, too. There's always stories about how SNL in the late 70s, there was a lot of cocaine, everything like that. So it must have been hard to tell somebody like Belushi that they have a problem when he could just look and say, well, I've done this with you. Like, who are you to tell me, you know, (laughs) that I have a problem from the same bowl here, (laughs) buddy? (laughs) Yeah. So it must have been hard to (laughs) to intervene with somebody back then yeah, when it like was the, just so you know, nobody wants to be the parent right yeah yeah exactly and the, you know what's interesting to me he was going to be in ghostbusters and yeah that was so unfortunate that we didn't get to see him in that form in ghostbusters but the monster slimer uh, i believe was modeled after belushi i don't know if that's apocryphal uh, but now that
4: you now that you say that it sure looks like him <laughs> Yeah, I think I
3: believe that I've read that they kind of modeled Slimer after Belushi, and when you look at Slimer, you can maybe see a nod. You can maybe see a nod to Belushi. What kind of career do you think that Belushi could have had had he kept clean? I think
4: I think it would have been very similar to Bill Murray's. Oh yeah, wow! I think he would have continued doing um, comedy. Obviously, like who's not going to hire him to be in a comedy? But even with Continental Divide, which is sort of a Again, I haven't seen it, but from what I what I know, it's, it's sort of a comedy drama almost. You know what I mean? It's not balls to the wall Animal House or Blues Brothers with jokes and explosions and gags and everything. But yeah, I could see him doing a lot more dramatic roles and then maybe being like what happened with Bill Murray being taken on by somebody like Sofia Coppola, yep. who would bring him in every time because she knows he can deliver. Maybe, or somebody like Wes Anderson,
3: maybe there could have been a yep. cool partnership oh, for with someone sure. like Wes Anderson. Like, yeah, John I mean, yep. Belushi was that talented. He could have. I think he, I could have seen him in more dramatic roles, like Lost in Translation or something like that. Like Murray yep. got to do for sure. That's that's definitely not a stretch. So, what is your final case if you had to sum it up for John Belushi to be inducted into the SNL Hall of Fame?
4: Total commitment, larger than life persona. Hugely talented actor. The first major star to emerge from the show post-Chevy. Natural charisma. Being a member of the first cast ever, I think, puts him above a lot of people. Setting a template for many to follow. Best example being Chris Farley that we've discussed, but unfortunately some of those habits also bled in. Uh, The ability to upstage others with his mere presence on stage. Uh, The eyebrow. Cocking the one eyebrow. It's amazing what he could do with that. Unbelievable comic timing preternatural talent given that at the age of 16 or 17 a drama teacher at a high school was like there's something here that's very rare being a, a great actor and having it serve comedy you know which doesn't happen is a hard thing to do And it's more than half the battle really is, is being a good actor as we mentioned earlier and i'd say a lot of people have come close to his level like we said earlier kate mckinnon on a, another area of the spectrum somebody like dan Aykroyd. but i don't think anyone's I don't think anyone's reached that height yet. I think he is the greatest Saturday night live actor of all time.
1: So there's that. I wanna thank Justin Renwick. I wanna thank Thomas Senna. I wanna thank Matt Ardill. I wanna thank you for listening, but before we go any further, I wanna listen to a sketch. I wanna listen to something that Belushi did that seals the deal, that makes me feel that he is a legit, absolute Hall of Famer. I think that Justin's comment that he's the greatest SNL actor of all time is is a bold statement, a bold statement. There have been a lot, You know, one who joined just three years after Belushi left is Eddie Murphy. And I don't know how you get bigger than Eddie Murphy. So, uh, you know, is Belushi a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Likely, Uh, like very likely. Um, Is he the greatest of all time? I don't know. You know, maybe that's another podcast for another time. But let's listen to this sketch now and get a better sense of what Mr. Belushi brought to the table.
6: Oh, I guess this is my stop. to go. I was one of those live fast, die young, leave a good looking corpse type, you know. Well I guess they were wrong. Here they are. Oh my friends, this is a not ready for primetime cemetery. <laughs> On up <laughs> Yeah, here's Gilda Radner. Uh, she had her own show on Canadian television for years and years, the Gilda Radner show. Well, at least now I can see her on reruns. <laughs> here's a button, God bless her. Here's where Lorraine is. They say she murdered her DJ husband, then uh, moved to the valley in California and had a pecan farm. She was this big when she died
0: <laughs> Jane
6: Curtin She married a stockbroker Had two children Moved to upstate New York She died For complications during cosmetic surgery <laughs> well, This is Garrett Morris Now Garrett Garrett left the show And worked in the black theater For years and he died of an overdose of heroin. (laughs) Here's Bill Murray. He lived the longest, 38 years. Well, he was happy when he died, though. he just grown his mustache back. Probably still growing. Over here's Chevy Chase. He died right after his first movie with Goldie Hawn. (laughs) <laughs> Over here, this is Danny Ackroyd. I guess he loved his Harley too much. They clocked him at 175 miles an hour before the crash. It was a blur. I had to be called in to identify his body. I recognized him by his webbed toes. Well... <laughs> yeah. Saturday night show was the best experience of my life and now they're all gone and I miss every one of them why me why did I live so long they're all dead I'll tell you why cause I'm a dancer.
1: that was don't look back in anger directed by tom schiller you didn't get to see it but it features an old john belushi i mean if you're listening to this podcast you're a big enough fan of snl that you've seen the sketch but if you haven't Check it out. It's it's worth watching as well. Uh, it works on an audio level, but it, it certainly is worth watching to see Belushi's uh, chops uh, as he is dressed up as an old man, uh, and it's very eerie the fact that he never got to become that old man. And you know, here he is seen lamenting his uh, deceased coworkers and and reminiscing that it was the best time of his life, and. You know, we never got to experience that old man Belushi and and get to hear that from, from his lips. So Schiller, you know, created a premonition in a sense, and uh, it's a wonderful piece of art. Uh, you should check it out for sure. That, my friends, is what I have for you this week. Make sure to register to vote. SNLHOF.com. Click on the voting tab. Click register to vote, and you'll be in. Voting begins the 23rd of May, wraps up the 17th of June, and on the 19th of June, we will induct the class of season three. So, on your way out, if you'd do me a favor, as you're walking past the weekend update exhibit, turn out the lights because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed.
0: Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug DeNantz saying, this is Doug DeNantz saying, see you next week.
1: Podcasts and such.